Andrew Stillman had started out as a freelancer at 23 and made his way up the ladder one rung at a time, becoming a staff writer by 30. Since he was a kid, he'd dreamed of carrying a press pass from one of the world's best-known papers. And every morning, upon entering the double doors of 628th Avenue, he glanced at the newspaper's name on the facade, the New York Times. It never failed to give him a thrill. Thousands of hacks would give their right arm just to visit. Andrew had spent four years working in the research department before taking over as deputy obituaries editor. The previous editor had been run over by a bus as she was leaving work one day and ended up featured in the very section she used to write for. She'd been rushing home so as not to miss the delivery of some sexy underwear she'd ordered online. Life really does hang by a thread sometimes. Andrew spent another five years toiling away anonymously. Obituaries don't carry their author's name. The deceased get all the credit. Five years of writing about men and women who were now only memories, whether good or bad. 1,825 days, and nearly 6,000 dry martinis consumed every evening after work between 7.30 p.m. and 8.15 p.m. at the bar of the Marriott Hotel on 40th Street. Every glass came garnished with three olives, With each pit he spat into an overflowing ashtray, Andrew would chase away the memory of yet another extinguished life he'd summed up that day. Living in the company of the dead was driving him to the bottle. By Andrew's fourth year on obits, the barman at the Marriott was refilling his glass six times a night. He'd often show up at the office ashen-faced and sleepy-eyed, his shirt collar askew and his jacket crumpled. Luckily, a suit and tie weren't de rigueur in the newspaper's open-plan offices, least of all in the department where he worked. Either because of his elegant, precise prose, or because of the devastating effects of a particularly hot summer, the column he was in charge of had expanded to two full pages. When the quarterly results were being prepared, a statistics-mad analyst in the financial department observed that the revenue per obituary was soaring. Families in mourning were taking out more lines to express the extent of their grief. Good news travels fast within large companies, and at its fall meeting, the management committee discussed the results and decided to promote the no longer nameless person behind them. Andrew had been made editor. He was still on the births, deaths, and marriages beat, but now had been put in charge of the highly unprofitable wedding pages as well. Andrew was never short of ideas. For a time, he'd abandoned his usual watering hole and started hanging out in the upscale bars frequented by the city's various gay communities. Striking up conversations between countless dry martinis, he'd handed out business cards left and right, explaining to anyone who would listen that his column was only too happy to publish announcements of any nuptials, including the kind most other newspapers refused to accept. Same-sex marriage was still nowhere near legal in the state of New York— but the Times was free to mention any exchange of vows between consenting adults. At the end of the day, it was the thought that counted. Within three months, births, deaths, and marriages had spread to four pages in the Sunday edition, and Andrew was given a substantial raise.